to Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s historic win. We'll share our thoughts and also the weekend that was from Daytona and also look ahead to uh, this weekend's action from Fontana. And uh, we'll also have our news and notes and uh, our Ask David segment coming up at the end of the show as well. So uh, looking forward to all of that. We'll bring in Lewis coming up in just a few moments from right now. But first, uh, Dominic Olagun from the uh, RacingExperts.com is here with me as well. Dom, uh, you and I were out there at Daytona. Uh, this was my uh, fourth Daytona 500. I believe it was your fifth, Dom. And I got to tell you, it never gets old. Somehow it gets better every year, one way or the other. And from the action that we saw on track to Ricky getting it done in dramatic fashion to the events around the race and the buildup and everything, I, I had such a great time, Dom. I mean, what an incredible way to start the season. I agree with that, and, I, and we didn't really talk about this much, and I'm curious if you'd agree with me on this, but again, I've been to many Daytona 500s, but the five I've been to, I felt like just the energy was a little different this time. It felt like it was pre-pandemic levels. There were a lot of people on hand. It was sold out weeks in advance compared to what it had been over the last few weeks, and it just seemed like there were more people in the infield. It seemed more like, man, I went to Pocono last year when they had the final Pocono race with M&Ms and, and that sponsorship, and it really felt like an NFL game, and I kind of got that vibe. This time around, too, Tyler. It was just an electric environment. It was. And uh, the end result of uh, Ricky getting it done, his third career win, first win in, gosh, what was it, five years. And uh, when you see the story of JTG uh, racing, getting that Daytona 500 win, and and for Brad Darty and the uh, you know the the, the Gitschecker family and everything, I mean, what what an underdog story just all the way around. Dom uh, can't be can't feel but happy for for those guys and to see that hard work pay off for that small team. Well, that history just dates back so far, and it bleeds really deep in the NASCAR National Touring Series. They started their Xfinity team when was once the Bush Series in the mid nineties. Continued on for a long time, continued tracking along. They started their cup organization full-time in 2009, got that first win in 2014. And you and I, we were all there for that press conference with the Kroger sponsors there in the room. And you could just tell the love that that team has. They have quality partnerships. They have great people behind them. And Kroger has stuck behind them all these years later. And I think there's even more. There's 500 reasons to even stick more behind them now. Definitely. And, Don, besides just when you looked at the win from Ricky Stenhouse, there were so many storylines from this weekend. The return of Jimmy Johnson, Travis Pastrana gets an 11th place showing. Frankie Munez we had involved in the ARCA race and had a pretty good showing. He finished 11th. Besides the win for Ricky Stenhouse, what was your favorite headline that came out of this weekend? Man, that is a great question. I, I think just seeing a little bit of everything of what you were telling me, like Riley Herbst picking up a top 10 finish in his debut, the, only the second driver in NASCAR history, to make their debut in the 500 and finish top 10 within it. A lot of cool stories, a lot of cool headlines from across the weekend. I, I got to tell you too, Tyler, seeing Jimmy Johnson back on track and, and being back in the NASCAR Cup Series after more than two years out, that Carvana paint scheme, the blue and the yellow, just kind of gave me the old Lowe's 48 kind of vibe to it. And just seeing that car, that dark blue, Really nice paint scheme on the racetrack and then the dominance of the Fords until they weren't with the big crash with a handful of laps to go. There was just so much buildup with that race. The two overtimes, we talked about it on the live show a few days ago, and I reiterate it too, Tyler. You said it best. NASCAR does the best overtime of any professional sports, and that just capped off an entire great weekend. 
Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and uh, we're not going to wait any longer to bring in uh, our guest, Louis Frank of uh, Reuters, uh, motorsports writer uh, covering uh, NASCAR as well as uh, the rest of motorsports. And uh, Dom, uh, you, you and I, we, we, we've known Lewis for a long time, and uh, his resume kind of speaks for itself. Uh, I, I think it might take the whole show to list all the stuff that Lewis has done over the years and got a fascinating story uh, that yeah. uh, he makes his return here on the show. Yeah, we had Lewis on, I think, maybe one of the first 10 or 12 episodes of this podcast, and now he's back again with us to recap the Daytona 500. Lewis's resume is impressive. Before we came on the show tonight, we were talking about how many 500 he's been to. I'll let him tell you guys how many 500s he's been to. Our numbers, Tyler, pale in comparison to how many Lewis has been to. And I'm even curious to how many NASCAR events he's probably covered all across the years. But Lewis, man, thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Go Racing. It's my pleasure. My, my first uh, Daytona 500 was in the late 70s to cover Marty Robbins, the country and Western singer racing there. Mind you, he had had heart surgery and he raced. And um, everyone was very nice to me. And uh, uh, Richard Childress and I were talking and he said, Marty was a pretty good racer. If you're country fans out there, El Paso was a huge hit. Uh, so that's one of my favorite memories. And uh, now because uh, I was also there in 1980 when uh, Buddy Baker won, Fastest, fastest Daytona 500 ever. Greg goes to Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile, about 180 miles an hour. That will never be eclipsed as long as there's stage points. And uh, one of my favorite sub stories from this race uh, was watching Ricky Stenhouse go into the Waffle House with a miniature yes. uh, trophy. <laughs> and uh, well, uh, an Italian friend of mine and I, we went to San Remo restaurant and sure enough, Buddy Baker, they didn't have as much TV and all the other stuff. And uh, so while, while my friend was a photographer back then, so while we're eating, Buddy Baker comes in to San Remo to have Italian food. I, maybe there was no Waffle House there back then. <laughs> so, but my big story was Pastrana tra comes out of never been in a cup car before and finishes 11. Sure, he was in the crash at the end, but that's mind-blowing to me. More than anything else. I mean, Jimmy, you know, I covered all of his championships. And uh, the other thing, I'm very proud to say that by Sunday, I, I could identify Kyle Busch in the eight. That was a big deal for me. I had a hard time. It was like when Bowman took over the 48. It was like, who's in the 48? Who's <laughs> in the 48? But I, I got that straight by the weekend. Very, very nice. And I think you were there for media day, Lewis. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yes. Travis had said in his availability that he had never taken a cup car above second gear. Like he had just, I think, <laughs> driven around at a slower pace, but had never gone up to speed in one. Yeah. And he had a crazy Nomex. I never got to ask him about where that design came from. Oh, yeah. The checkered pattern with his fire. Oh, it looked amazing. I think hands down, Tyler, that was it the was, best fire suit of any of the drivers. It was like oh, yeah. Rutledge Wood and monochrome, you know? <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. Uh, that that was awesome to see, and, and and you know, as someone like you, Lewis, who who covers different motorsports, I mean, from Pastrana being there, Connor Daly being involved, um, you know, I mean, th th this one, it, it it felt like this Daytona 500 had had a little bit of everything from. The, you know, the underdog story to the guys that crossed over, 
the exciting finish. I mean, what what was missing this race, uh, Lewis? A pothole, a fire. Juan <laughs> <laughs> <What>, Pablo. <laughs> yeah, Juan Pablo and the, and the jet dryer. Uh, I mean, I've seen like like crazy times there. You know, you 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 just you never know what you're going to get. Um, Pete Davidson, I still want to know why he's wearing a hood. It's like almost 80 degrees. He had to be burned up in that thing, man. Yeah, black hood. And and okay, so I'm I'm, I'm an old guy. Photo of him with uh, Ross Chastain's watermelon. Yeah, that too. And his girlfriend. Those two were buddies. He he, the, he and the watermelon, like I, I think they went to prom. Yeah, and and Chastain had brought the watermelon into the media center for one of the uh, one of the interviews. So that oh, and uh, Noah Gregson. Every other word out of his mouth is a, is a slogan from Wendy's. I give him props. It sounds organic right now, but he really he, he delivers sponsor you know, money to the sponsorship. Very well done over there. That oh, legacy. Yeah. Well, I, I was telling my wife, Lewis and Tyler, how okay, you're there, and I walked by it. I'm sure you guys walked by this at some point too. But the whole Burger Wars and and, and NASCAR <laughs> fans have come to know that. Victory Lane can also be called the Winner's Circle. They're interchangeable words. They had Winner's Square in reference to their pad. I love that. Who thought of that? That is amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Yes. I, 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 you want to be surprised. You know, yes. no offense to Jimmy's seven championships, five in a row, people getting bored. You'll want to be surprised, just like the ending. And it was 199 races since uh, Ricky's last win. Reunited with Mike Kelly who had the two championships in, I guess it was then Bush, now Xfinity. Like you said, so many storylines. Oh, yeah. Even hearing that media availability about when he came into the media center and he was talking about he worked with Ricky. They went through their ups and downs in the Nationwide Series, now Xfinity Series, and that it was going to take a really special deal for him to come back and, and do this full time because he even told his wife. He had said in this press conference, I'm going to do this. I got to be all in. And this was his first full time gig, I believe, in, in several years. And here they are kicking off the reunion tour with the Daytona 500 win. Yeah, locked into the locked into the uh, what used to be the chase. Now is the playoffs. By the way, when the chase was first announced, you know it's not the playoffs. And then over time, it became the playoffs, like the NFL. Uh, <laughs> I I pick up those little nuances. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> um, you know the the Mike Kelly. Ricky Stenhouse storyline. Um, first race of those two paired together at the cup level, and bam, just like that, they had something going. And we heard Ricky say after the race that Mike Kelly just came in with a new mentality and really just got the attention of that team. What I wonder, Lewis, is, you know, you put the, these two together, and it sounds like that they believe they have all the resources they need with that Hendrick backing here. Do you think that this – I hate to put it this way. Like, I don't mean to call this a fluke or anything, but is is there staying power, you think, with this? Is this 47 team going to go from here and be a championship contender, or, or did they really benefit from this being a restrictor plate race? Where, where does this 47 team go from here, you think? What, it, really very simple. Today's cars are so close. Anything can happen. Like we had so many winners 
last year, the, the curmudgeon in me wanted to see 17 winners to see who'd get bumped out. See, you like that, Dominic? Yeah, it's it like the year that Ryan Newman got to the final at, at Homestead. I, I want to see something. I want to see things change up. So right now, no one has a real, you know, super advantage with, with the next gen car. So it's possible that they look Tyler Reddick, a couple of wins at RCR last year, a whole lot of other things, uh, track house winning, you know, so much last year. So not right now, not, but uh, was it Tony Stewart called the Daytona 500 a lottery? Yes. It came down to the overtime lap. You know, Joey Logano said they pushed the button too late or uh, yeah, too late. He said he should have won the race. So what used to be restrictor plate now tapered spacer tracks anything can happen and it's usually on the last two laps so oh, 100 i i think there was an article that broke it down really well from nbc sports and dustin long over the last six years even entering before this daytona 500 how most of these races in the era of stage racing has been relatively calm and then you get to that third stage manufacturer alliances teammate alliances all go out the window Five out of the last six Daytona 500s, I believe, including now this one, six out of seven, had a big crash at the end. Most of them, more often than not, had gone into overtime. It's just kind of inevitable. We know it's going to happen. I was even telling Tyler, it was like seven or eight laps to go. I'm like, yep, there's going to be a crash. There's going to be a crash, definitely. And, and that spin with Suarez set up the, the double overtime. Joey Logano, you can see, here's my plug. Joey Logano on my YouTube, if my name comes up on a graphic, L-E-W-I-S-F-R-A-N-C-K, he guaranteed 100%. He said, it's better than a weatherman. I'm telling you, there's going to be a big wreck. And he told he told us that on Wednesday. So, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, I hate to say it's not rocket science. I mean, I really hate to see a race end under caution, though. Um you want to see, you really wanted to see him and Ricky, you know, dueling and, and not know. Because Joey's got, you know, two wins, guys reigning champion. So he's not exactly going to be in the poorhouse for second place. But what drives you a championship is the win. And I'll tell you, my, my original background in covering racing is road racing. As far as I'm concerned, if it's the last turn, almost anything goes. Almost right. anything goes. So yeah, and and it's been funny you mentioned that because I was talking to some of my, my coworkers today that are not NASCAR fans and they're asking me how it was. And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, it went with a double overtime. They're like, wait, NASCAR's got overtime? Like, like how were they tied at the end of the regulation? I'm like, well, that didn't quite work that way, but <laughs> I mean you get the idea. I mean, yeah, it was it came right down to the very finish. Um, NASCAR calls that caution there with the you know, the, the stuff going on behind the leaders there. Lewis, I mean, when, when they call that caution, I get it why they had to do it, but it was one of those deals I'm like, man, it's not affecting the leaders. Can, can they just let it fit, the lap finish, let it play out? Yeah, that would be my wish list. But safety, if you if any, if a safety crew is about to go out on the track, they got to protect everybody. And it, again, it's a shame for you want to see two, three, four cars beating banging for the finish but it, it's a safety rule and um I, i'll go for safety the the problem with being a beat reporter is you you learn about not just the driver's owners and crew chiefs but their family last thing you want to do is like the year with ryan newman you know right. um 
uh, I, I knew Chrissy. I, I mean, didn't know their kids too well, but I knew Chrissy. And you think about the family. So safety first, you know, b before competition and uh, just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point uh, for sure. We're joined by uh, Lewis Frank of uh, Reuters as we're looking back in the Daytona 500. Tyler Jones, Dominic Ogun of the uh, RacingExperts.com here with you this week on uh, Let's Go Racing. Uh, Dom, uh, when, when you look back at this in, in just kind of historical context, uh, it's it's very interesting. There's there's a lot of different things you could go at. Uh, you know, I won't say uh, we're not going to, you know, put Teresa Earnhardt under the bus like some of you <laughs> did uh, this weekend. Uh, but <laughs> but you just uh, did. <laughs> there, it was, there was some historical significance to this race. Oh, definitely. And we, we had Brad Doherty, the first principal owner, African-American, to win a Daytona 500. Jody Geschechter, the second female NASCAR owner to to put the trophy there in victory lane. Teresa Hart did Very it. important, the second. Say it again. <laughs> yes, Very important, the exactly. second. <laughs> yes, er, Teresa Hart had her name attached with the 2001, 2003, 2004, and 2010 Daytona 500s across three drivers there. But yeah, certainly some historical things. And I think when you look past that too, and you look at what this win means for that organization, what it means for Ricky Stenhouse, with the Cup Series no longer having a past champions provisional, and that went away with the charter system, I feel like your golden ticket in the NASCAR Cup Series to, to have name notoriety, be able to, to run as long as you want, you either got to win a championship or you got to win the Daytona 500. And Ricky Stenhouse now, I, I, I'm, I'm curious if you guys agree with this, but 20 years from now, if he's not racing full-time and he hits up a team or works out a deal, people will put him in a car because he's forever a Daytona 500 champion. And I, I think back to drivers like Derek Cope, Trevor Bain was able to really stay around a little bit longer and was running Xfinity races last year. So even if your career doesn't go maybe as you're hoping or planned, you win the Daytona 500, you're going to be sticking around the sport for a while if you want to. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you think about this, Lewis. Uh you know, here's a guy that was made fun of for quite some time about, you know, I think they called him Recky Stenhouse, you know, and some of the uh, destruction that he caused at restrictor plates in Daytona over the years. Uh, this does wonders for uh, for Ricky's career and reputation, I think. No, no doubt. A couple of points. Going back in history, he did have a lot of wrecks. And, and Jack Roush, who he started his career with uh, at the higher levels, parked him. Um, I don't know from races, but out of cup, he, he, you know, after, after, and, but he came, he, get, he got a second chance and came back. And to your point about a Daytona 500 winner, Denny Hamlin comes into the, uh, into the media center. I think it was, um, whatever it was, it wasn't, it wasn't Friday, it was before Friday. And he asked the obvious question. And, and he's been asked this many times, would you trade your three, four? And they wouldn't let him finish his three Daytona 500 wins for ch championships before the question got fully out. He said, no. <laughs> That's how big winning the Daytona 500 is. Now, some champions will say the other. I forget who we spoke to, but there's a bunch of champions said, no, I wouldn't change my championships for Daytona 500 win. But that's how powerful, though, this race is for most drivers this this can this can make your career, if not just the playoffs in one year. So it's very big. You get you get on on national television. They have a big media tour. Uh, I was I was driving home on Mondays, so I don't know what he did Monday. Uh, 
We're still in Tuesday. Yes, a week in Daytona, I lose my time. But he's in Chicago promoting the race there. Um, they they definitely uh, they definitely use this as a loudspeaker for you know to promote the driver and and NASCAR and Kroger. Although they own they own uh, they they're going to do something with Ralphs this weekend in in Fontana. Uh, they own Harris Teeter that's here in North Carolina. But they're going to use this. And when you have a partner like like uh, Kroger, they'll get even more publicity, which means that Ricky and the and the JT, JTG the uh, JTD uh, never JTG. mind JTG I'll get it out. It's been a long week down there. Yes, uh, they they'll be able to use this for many years. Oh, for sure, for sure, and so. And so with that said, like, what, what does this type of win uh, do? We mentioned for Ricky. What about for that organization, uh, you know, now getting this done? We saw what uh, it's done for, like, the Wood Brothers and uh, for teams in the past, you know, like uh, Front Row a couple years ago. Now now JTG, uh, you know, a team that maybe hasn't necessarily had the funding uh, Lewis, now they got 26 weeks to, to get ready for, for the playoff here and go get potential yep. more funding, right? Yeah, I've got to believe that uh, Kroger's is bigger than Love's, who sponsored McDowell. And again, just they, a little they bit, just, yeah. And they've got the ability, although Love's did too, the gas station company. What you do is like kind of what Chip Ganassi did with Target. You bring in the sponsors, you bring in the, the companies that are aligned with your main sponsor, Kroger could get like things from Nabisco, name all the big food companies, the beverage companies, who knows, Coca he could become a Coca-Cola driver. I mean, they, they can use this. They can parlay this into other sponsorship, which brings more money into the team. And perhaps they can spend more time on simulations or buy a war room. I've only been in RCR's war room. No one else will let me in another room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this what this is what you want. You know, it's okay. You're a Chevrolet team player, except that the last couple of laps and that last little bit of the simulations, because they're not letting you test. Th this this will give them some of the funding that can put them over the top for better results later in the year. Yeah. That's uh, that's terrific. It's uh, outstanding. Certainly excited for uh, that organization and uh, to see where they uh, go from here. Uh, Lewis, uh, Kyle Busch led at the end of regulation. Uh, it looked like that he had the car to beat for most of the day, but ultimately he uh, ended up finished back in 19th. And uh, I mean, you had in, in just an awful circumstance of, he and Austin Dillon just not on the same page there at the end of, you know, choosing lanes and everything, how that worked out. And Kyle misses out. I, I, I got to tell you, I know that Kyle's still got a few years left, but that was as good a chance he's ever had to win the Daytona 500 and, and, and let that one slip away. I, I can't imagine Kyle Busch sleeping too well uh, this week here, Lewis. I'd hate to be at the team meeting <laughs> behind closed doors. Especially, especially in Austin's grandfather runs a team, uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's going to be. But even if you've only been to four or five of these things, they they don't dwell on losses. It's their mind is on Fontana now. They will not dwell on losses. They they don't. 
they'll get even like Matt Kenseth got even with Joey Logano at uh, Martinsville one year. You know, when opportunity presents, I'm not saying that 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 uh, Kyle's going to wreck Austin or something, but uh, they 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 don't they don't spend a whole lot of time uh, thinking about what happened on Sunday when when you got another race on the next Sunday. So, uh, other other than maybe some choice words uh, at the team meeting, get they'll get it out and uh, Pop Pop won't take off his watch. <laughs> And for you listeners who don't know, Kyle Kyle got into I don't know was it Harvick or Austin once upon a time, and uh, and uh, and uh, Richard said uh, uh, Richard had a favorite watch and he, he handed it to someone else because he wanted a pound, Kyle, and at, at when he signed Kyle he gave him a Rolex uh, in a gr nice green box, uh, but. Um, like I said, the teams move on. I mean, it's a very long season. They've got one race in the books. So they're not going to spend a whole lot of time other than saying, let's not do this at Talladega. You know, that's that's yeah. all it's going to be. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, Lois, what did you make of what we saw in the uh, the other series and and uh, also the, the stuff that went on with uh, like seeing Frankie Muniz show up in the Arca side and everything. I mean, we saw some good action in the, uh, the, the other series as well there at Daytona. Yeah, the, the Arca race can be a wreck fest too. And it, it, it wasn't as bad as it could be. It, it was nice to see uh, Frankie. He came into the media center too. And uh, if there's anybody in open wheel listening, I'm sure you do. He was a teammate to someone I covered in her teenage years, Simona Di Silvestro. And uh, they stay in touch, and that's nice to hear. And he talked about uh, uh, Brian Cranston uh, coming oh, yeah. coming to uh, to see him at, at a, a local restaurant. I love all this stuff. I mean, like I said, I, I'm always looking for stuff you don't see on the 11 o'clock news. You know, I, I want to bring things you don't see. So that, that story... And he was very, very, you know, he was just a, a normal guy because I, I asked him, but he had an accident in open wheel. And, and so he was out of racing for a while, but uh, he started racing stock cars and, and loved it. And he has some backing. And uh, so it was good to see him. Um, I didn't pay. I did watch the Xfinity race, um, but it, it didn't stand out to me other than there's so many hills in NASCAR. And I pointed out American-born Phil Hill was a Formula One world champion. And there was Graham Hill was a world champion, a Brit and his son. So a lot of hills in racing. No valleys. <laughs> so <laughs> I also, they, they showed the latest iteration of the Garage 56 car. Um, this Camaro that looks, well, it looks like a stock car. But it's nothing like a stock car. It's got fins. It's got Max Pappas's steering wheel, MPI, with a lot of buttons and knobs that I don't know what, what happens. Pardon me, part Italian here. Not really, but I feel Italian. And Max is just 15 minutes from me. Um, that car is going to be unreal. Uh, I did an interview for Reuters with uh, um, Mike Rockefeller, very nice guy, a Le Mans winner. And... Uh, Obviously, Jimmy can get in and out of the car, but Jensen Button, another Formula One world champion, he's not used to sliding in a car. <laughs> so they're going to have to practice driver changes. This only happened in NASCAR when someone was injured, you know? So a driver change, 
So they're going to have to practice. They're in Sebring this weekend. And it's going to be the loudest car at Le Mans. And uh, no one's paying me to go over, but if there's anybody listening who wants to sponsor me, I'm available to go to Le Mans. I've only been there once. Will you so, take us with uh, you? What? You'll take us with you? That's got to be hard enough for me, but <laughs> if I get enough funding, for sure. That's a yes. That that's is a yes. yes. <laughs> but oh, 75th NASCAR, uh, 75th anniversary of NASCAR. I love, I love that Bill French Sr. tried it in the 70s. Uh, I think it's a very worthy project. Uh, the other manufacturers are—they're are, uh, not 100% happy that it's a Chevy, but they're being included in all the information. So uh, you know they're dealing with it because they only have one car. And if 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 some of your listeners don't know, this is just a single car category. So Rockefeller said. All they want to do is finish the race and not be last. And that would be a victory. And like I said, it'll be the loudest car at Le Mans in many years because there are many hybrid cars and turbocharged cars. So um, it's going to be fun to see how that works out and to see Jensen Button and Jimmy and Rockefeller, Rockefeller uh, in that car. Um, so like I said, that, that, that was very good because Reuters is a global news media. And, and they're interested, you know, in stories like that. Last year, my big story was Jacques Villeneuve finished the, uh, the, the uh, Daytona 500. Yeah. So that, that's kind of my beat is, is global stories. As much as I've covered, I've done the race stories. Sadly, I, I, was at, I, was, I left Daytona in 2001 when Earnhardt died. I left there at 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. I was filing. That was one of the biggest global stories in racing. I mean, headlines around the world. So that's kind of my beat these days. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Lewis, uh, we'll shift gears and get to uh, some headlines around the sport that I will cover next and uh, we'll have our uh, mailbag segment coming up at the end of the show. But, uh, Dominic, uh, plenty going on uh, post-Daytona to uh, cover in the uh, NASCAR world here. Yeah, let's start with the broadcast booth and how that's going to look for NASCAR and Fox over the next several weeks. We know that Kevin Harvick will be taking over as a driver analyst for the booth starting in 2024. But Fox is continuing their second straight season of having a rotating booth. And, Tyler, it's a Stuart Haas panel. Tony Stewart's going to be back at Auto Club in Fontana this weekend. And for a second year in a row, Danica Patrick will be doing two races with Fox. She's going to be doing the Las Vegas and Phoenix race weekends. Did Clint Boyer, Danica Patrick, Tony Stewart, and now Kevin Harvick next year. Stewart Haas Racing seems to have a stranglehold on the broadcast booth. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Lewis, uh, as somebody like you that covers all the motorsports, I, I got to tell you, Danica's got something figured out here, doing the Indy 500 for NBC, the... Uh, you know, the, the domestic races, uh, you know, st stateside for F1 on uh, ESPN Sky Sports and then uh, doing a, a couple races for Fox here. Uh, I, I've been very impressed with, with Danica and the way she's been able to dabble in broadcasting in uh, all these different disciplines here. Yeah, you know, as a lawyer, you're, you know, on the last podcast, I practiced law for 25 years. It's kind of interesting because I'm, this, I'm not throwing shade, but to me, you know, there's conflict of interest, but obviously they've worked it out. <laughs> there, you got three sports networks competing with each other, and they, so they all want her as badly. But by the way, one other little news item, Ke Keelan Harvick wins his, uh, Brexton, excuse me, 
Braxton Bush wins his race while, while Kyle Bush is in the interview room. And, and Braxton is so happy, wins his race in Ocala. That's it, Ocala. He's got a donut on the side of the car. So look out for Keelan is doing go-karts. And Braxton is already working him he, his way up. So there's some more news out of the, those guys. You want you, That really makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah i mean dominic guy we're not that old we're not like lewis you know and, and oh thanks yeah, oh and, ooh, and, shake, Tyler. i remember when both those kids were born so yeah i mean uh that, that's gonna be interesting but uh but dom uh you know it, it, it comes at an interesting time fox making these these moves because uh their daytona 500 coverage uh was heavily criticized it seemed Sir, it seemed like it was, whether it be commercial accounts or even the fact that, yeah, we had overtime. And, and I know that extends the broadcast window. They got to cut to other programming, but there were no interviews. I, I felt like I saw across social media, and I'm sure you guys can, can vouch for this too. Like no interview with Alex Bowman, who finished fifth. It, it just seemed like a sped up post-race coverage this time around. So hopefully we see those issues fixed this upcoming weekend in Montana. Yeah, hopefully so. Um, Dom, what else are we got going on? So some NASCAR news out of some of the open teams. Connor Daly made his way into the Daytona 500 in the number 50, the money team management car, co-owned by Floyd Mayweather. Connor Daly confirmed to the RacingExperts.com in Daytona that he will be attempting with the team again at the Coda race in, I believe that's late March, the Circus, uh, Circuit of the Americas. So the number 50 team has entered in a few races per season. They entered, I believe, three events last year, Kaz Grawl at the 500, and Circuit of the Americas, and then the Charlotte Road Course race with Connor Daly. So Daly will be back for some more cup racing. And it's pretty cool, guys, to see some of these open-wheel guys come over, and just people from different racing disciplines trying their hand at motorsports in the NASCAR Cup Series. Yeah. By the way, his Go father, ahead, Eric, raced in Formula One before moving to the Indianapolis. Wait, say it again? Cut out. Uh, Connor's father, Derek Daly, raced in Formula One. So, I mean... There, there is back and forth. There's no longer, I'm just going to do one series. Exactly. Right. I, I think that shows the versatility, too, of Connor Daly. And I just talking with him after the 500, you could tell he was kind of bummed out that they didn't get the finish that they had. But he, he told me, too, he goes, I felt comfortable in the car after three laps. They can just quickly adapt from one discipline to another. Well, I wonder with, uh, with that, uh, Lewis, with him racing on a road course there at Coda, what do you think as far as uh, his competitive level, level could go? Uh, it seemed like you mentioned he adapted pretty quick to plate racing at Daytona. I would think that road racing, uh, he would even have a chance potentially have a stronger showing there. Well, you've seen, you know, years ago they talked about road race ringers. They don't call them that anymore because the cup drivers have eventually uh, picked up the knack of road racing. Uh, it'll, it's helpful. But still, to to go, you know, from a 1,600-pound-ish IndyCar to, you know, almost two-ton cup car, uh, not quite the same. Although, again, like you, Frankie Munez thought he has a better chance. Arca has some road courses now. He thought he'd have a better chance because he's going to race on circuits he's raced before. But the competition, the cup drivers now, They've got they've got the road courses figured out. Like I said, no more road course ringers. It's a help. Or you go back to Marcus Ambrose, who almost won Sonoma. Uh, Montoya's wins came on road courses. Um, and look at his team. You know, so yes, he'll be a lot more comfortable 
but uh, he'd be a long shot there too. And again, D Daytona, I think it was Tony Stewart said it's a lottery. Uh, uh, the plate races are, you just have to learn to not, not get lost at the end, you know, to, to go three wide. There's still never going to, there won't, I won't say, there's not currently three lanes on super speedways. Super speedways are, it's a matter of being there at the finish, just surviving. The road course stuff is different. Uh, however, if, if it rains, not like the torrential rain you saw last year, Coda, if it rains, he will have an advantage because the road racers run regularly in the rain, whereas cup drivers rarely run in the rain. If you saw that in Montreal with Xfinity or maybe it was Nationwide back then. Uh, you saw you saw that the uh, Robbie Gordon did. Um, was Robbie? Yeah, I think Robbie was in Montreal. Uh, def definitely Marcus Ambrose uh, what, did did well up there in Montreal. So the only play, the only where he'd have an obvious advantage is if weather comes into the Coda race. Otherwise, he'll be more comfortable. But I, you know, and I'll go out on a limb because no one's paying. You know, I I just don't think you know he's capable, but he's not going to be my favorite to win a Coda. Uh, Lewis, let me ask you this. Uh, with, with Steve Connor Daly make this uh, transition over running some NASCAR, we mentioned Travis Pastrana earlier. Who are some other names that come to mind in other series that uh, you'd like to see? Uh, as, you know, we, we've heard like Elio Castroneves indicate he wants to try it. Uh, you know, Marco Andretti said the same thing in the past. Who, who are some names that you think uh, that, that you could see potentially hopping in a cup car soon? Oh boy! Now you you may have stumped me on that. You've named all the the best possibilities. The thing is, it it's it's ironic to me because in NASCAR you can make the money, but you still got to bring the money to the ride. You know, there there there's you know a couple of the F1 drivers say they would race in NASCAR, but only the road races. You saw Raikkonen you know, with the special project at, at Track House. Um, oh, yeah. Um, oh, God. The Australian driver, uh, um, he, the, he, he said he would, would be interested in a road race. So, and, and he's, been, he's been moved over to their uh, McLaren's Formula E. So he might be someone you might see at a road race. On the ovals, I don't know. Hmm. Well, and, and uh, Dominic, uh, I think the hard part, too, I don't know how many people know this, but, like, fielding an open team right now is just so difficult because the money's just not there for the open teams compared to the charter teams, which limit the opportunities for guys to come over and, and hop in for a race or two. And I think what needs to be highlighted with that point you're making, too, Tyler, is when NASCAR introduced the charter system in 2016, NASCAR's version of a franchise and handing that out to 36 teams, the purse money got slashed for the open teams about a quarter of what they were making in 2015 to 2016. And NBA Motorsports owner Carl Line, guest of the show in the past, brought it up on SiriusXM at the conclusion of the 2020 season. NASCAR was doing away with giving even those little small $25,000 purse winnings for the open team. So NASCAR really makes it really hard. If you wanted to throw an open team in the Cup Series, it's more of a billionaire's club at this point. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of used equipment. You used to be able to buy used equipment that was, at least it might finish, you know, but there's not a whole lot of spare stuff still. 
Oh, I right. agree, Lewis. I think the, the days of seeing somebody getting their hands on the NASCAR rule book and, and trying to put a cup car together in the garage of like their own personal, that, that those days are done. The last one that comes to mind was Mark Green in 2012. They, I think that team got a hold of the rule book. They, they tried to make the race at Richmond and they missed it by a second and a half. And I remember seeing pictures on social media that they were working on this car, like in a residential garage. Yeah, what what you might see is like what Colleg did, you know, the run Xfinity, and then move up to Cup. So there's got to be, you know, you look at you look at Justin Marks, who is well funded. Okay, they buy an existing team, and then they do some more magic with it. Ty Norris and some of the other people there. Mark, uh, what else we got going? NASCAR is also considering some more street racing. So some of the buzz around the media center this weekend, hearing about how. The NASCAR Cup Series may take the streets of New York, maybe in the not-too-distant future. We know that NASCAR is hitting a three-year deal with the city of Chicago to run a street course race this summer. But, Tyler, New York City might be on that agenda in the not-too-distant future. Sorry. I lived in New York until 2013. I can't – well, I can – I it, I have been to press conferences about races in New York. I even, I even did a multi-part uh, tweet – so Bernie Ecclestone was like the France of, of Formula One. He announced they, they brought a they brought a three or four-year-old Ferrari. We're gonna have a race in Central Park. Did that happen? No. Okay. Then then um, Chip Ganassi gets involved with Marlboro money uh, to run a, a street race uh, around around what was the World Trade Center. And, and a local board of education killed that. And that was pretty well funded. Okay, next, they try a race at the World's Fair site, uh, 1964 New York World's Fair site, next to LaGuardia and an eight-lane highway. And people complained they were going to knock down two trees. Didn't happen. Then a former President Trump and the France family get together to build a racetrack on the east end of Long Island. Didn't happen. Then they try to build a, a permanent racetrack in Staten Island, the union say yes, and the citizens said no. So you can talk, uh, but I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I don't believe a, a New York street race will happen. Oh, Formula One also considered a race over in New Jersey. Uh, I forget, uh, I wrote it in my tweet, I had to look up. It, it, New York is too big, too many uh, moving parts to get it done. Um, and, and we don't know that the mayor, he's got so many other issues. In the case of Chicago, you had the mayor involved. So, I mean, I, I don't want to throw shade on a race in New York, but I've seen decades of proposed races. And it's, it's going to be like pushing rocks up up um, Vesuvius. That's, that's been a market that NASCAR's wanted to crack so bad for so long. Um, you know, the, the Pocono race has been kind of the de facto New York race, but even then Pocono is still what two, two and a half hours from New York city. Yeah. Um, you had the awards banquet there for years and, and, uh, that was a big deal. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm with you, Lewis, you know, I, I want to see it happen. I would love to see a New York straight race, but I'll believe it when I see it. Cause we, we've been through this song and dance a few times. The only thing that did work for a couple of years, but didn't get the media out, IndyCar raced in the Meadowlands, which has a horse racetrack. They used local streets. I'll never forget Ari Leyendijk 
went out on an access road and ended up on a public street. Fortunately, it was closed off, but he left it, literally left the track at slow speed. But the Meadowlands has a lot of open. So if there's going to be a race in the New York metro region, I, I would I would pick New Jersey Meadowlands. That's where they ought to push. It's it's open. It's big enough. Um, uh, you know where where the where the Jets play. Yeah, Jets so, and Giants are there. Yeah, Jets and Giants. Yes, you know better than me. I've, I've given up on other sports, but oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, Dominic, that, that might work if if they went they went for it. I would say this, Dom. If the Chicago street race goes well, um, expect that to not be the only street race. That there would be. Obviously, they're interested in New York, but I, I think that any major market is uh, going to be in play potentially to, that they'll look at all their options. If this works out, then they'll try this at other places potentially. Potentially. I, I could see maybe like what, like a Boston market or the Long Beach, California area, because any car has been doing that for a long time. I mean, utilizing Nashville. Nashville, yeah, places that have already kind of laid out the blueprint for this to happen. Who's not to say NASCAR could come in and try to replicate that as well? Right, Miami, Miami. Uh, you know, Vegas, uh, I mean, Seattle. There's a, there's a number of places they could go. What, what, what do you think, Lewis, just about the idea of NASCAR uh, racing on a, on a street course? Uh, can, they, can they make this with stock cars work? Why not? I mean, by the way, it was proposed back in the 80s when Roush made the, the left-right car. They, want, they were concerned with the growth of IndyCar. You know, it, it just depends. Look. I, I've been at the Coliseum twice. Who, who would have thought? It's an event. It's not a race. So the question is, though, again, that's a quarter of a mile track and they had special rules. So the question is, can they have a points paying race or can they have an exhibition? Chicago will be a, a points paying race. As I said, Meadowlands area, maybe, maybe, um, you know, just depends, depends. Let's see how the Formula One does. They're going to race at the south end of the strip uh, when they do their, their street. They're closing off the strip. Of course, it's 11 o'clock at night when they run. Again, it's a global sport. So they've got TV people watching all hours of the day. Um, the, the, again, the bulk of the NASCAR audience is here in the States. So, um, uh, you know, it just depends. Do they have enough room? Uh, I think it might be city adjacent. You yeah. know, as, as you said, because you need a lot of space to run these cars. Right. Um, regardless, I mean, they, they they run the Indy cars and they run Trans Am cars. They're going to run on this. Indy car is going to go back to the streets in Detroit. So what a place to showcase NASCAR. Use the same track. Yeah. Yeah. That's that track has been they they, they ran there years ago. Formula One. I was there for that. And uh then they went to Belle Isle, which is very small, very pretty, but it shows off Detroit. And, and two of the three manufacturers are domestic companies. If, you know, Detroit to me is a natural and you'd probably get the city behind it. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, final second before we go, uh, our mailbag segment. Ask David, we asked you to submit questions to us uh, uh, via Facebook, Twitter, and by email, uh, Star Podcasts on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Email David Star Podcasts at gmail.com is where you can find us there and uh, submit your questions. Uh, first question in the mailbag this week comes from Amy. Amy wants to know 
Guys, what do you think about the idea of a NASCAR EV series? Lewis, uh, take the first crack at that. What do you think about the prospects of a, of an EV type series in NASCAR? Number one, they're obviously considering it. My buddy Jerry Jordan leaked some uh -huh. he obtained. <laughs> Jerry, but as, as an old time racer, ah, the, the, racing has to be visceral. I don't care for Formula E. I think electric cars are the future, but I, I want noise. <laughs> So NASCAR will consider it, you know, because, you know, you have to, but I, I'm not for it. <laughs> Don, here, here's my dilemma, Dominic. I think you and I are probably on the same page on this, too. Um, I don't know where the market for this is. It seems like it's a manufacturer push because I don't know anybody that is a NASCAR fan that say to themselves, man, I'm just dying to see them race electric cars. I mean, like, <laughs> no, that person doesn't exist. This is this is clearly politics from the manufacturers here, right? Absolutely. And, and I think, too, like to quote our friend Jerry Jordan of the show, I remember talking with him about this stuff last year when NASCAR moved to that single lug nut in the Cup Series. Reports also saying that that could be in the Xfinity oh, Series next year. NASCAR is like the, the testing center, the testing grounds, research and development for some of these manufacturers. They're willing to try new things in NASCAR before it hits the street. So... Who's not to say? Maybe there's a bigger push for EV here in the next three to five years. And, and I've heard the rumblings, too, of the potential of maybe turning the Xfinity series into the EV series or having like an exhibition kind of style thing, too. So a lot of ideas in play. There's certainly nothing that's off the table on it. But it does feel like this is a push more from the big three rather than the fans, because I haven't heard a single fan say, oh, I can't wait for that car to zip by with no sound. Let, let me add, the truck series came out. These are cars, folks, with truck bodies. That, but the manufacturers, they sell more pickup trucks and, uh, and SUVs than they sell cars now in America. So when, when EVs become dominant, you know, or at least equal to gasoline-powered cars, that's, that's, I think, when you'll start to see it happen but i agree with both no fan has ever said i've never encountered anybody said, boy i would love to see evs <laughs> nobody has said that to me who's a real nascar fan that just I I want, i'm just dying for those battery mileage races guys i just want to see if the battery's yeah. going to make it to the end yeah like fuel mileage races oh someone oh do they have to pit oh no but <laughs> like uh just as you guys mentioned okay like you know, a race is going to come down to who's got enough battery to make it to the end. Or <laughs> on the flip side of that, too, are we just going to take away that being a factor of strategy wise? Like, oh, yeah, we're going to give these guys enough battery. They're going to make it through the whole race. And you're like, well, shit. Like, what, what was the point of that? You know, like, <laughs> what where's the strategy there? Tires. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of factors out. It takes a lot of variables out of the race. And I think that's why that's another element of the sport. You enjoy seeing, I don't know about you guys, but like Lewis, I, I love the cynical side of stuff. There's a caution just outside of the field. I want to know who's going to be able to conserve field and see that race go green the rest of the way. Who can make it the most on field? You throw that out the window, that kind of sucks. You did not see Biffle win at Kansas City. Oh, in 07, that rain in the darkness and all that. You were there for that, right? I, I love your memory. I remember stories, not dates, but you're very good. But I, I'm, I, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very in high respect for you knowing the dates of that. Yeah, I was there. That was a wacky finish. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I appreciate the compliment, Lewis. I'm our unofficial stats guy. Yes. Ah. Yes. Uh, next question in the mailbag this week. Uh, this one comes uh, from Kendall. Kendall wants to know, guys, who were your favorite racers growing up? Uh, Lewis, let's, uh, let's start with you. Okay, since it's a NASCAR show, um, I spoke with Benny Parsons back in the day. What a wonderful man he was and, and easy to talk to. So Benny, Benny was my first full-time NASCAR. Mario Andretti has been, a, been a, a, my hero. He's more of a friend now. And a lot of you guys, Dominic, since you're the stat guy, Mark Donahue. Um, I was down there for the first IROC race and he's a Penske driver and that, and I believe he won Riverside once. So, but he was an Indy car and he drove the sports car. So those are a couple of my, uh, couple of my early heroes. And, uh, oh, one more. Well, Jim Clark, who did race in one NASCAR race, I believe for the Wood Brothers. I, I, I don't know. Do you know that one? Uh, uh, but he, he did one NASCAR race. He was a world champion. Um, and, and he was, he was, and Dan Gurney, who definitely won at Riverside. Those are my, my heroes. And so that means you got to be as old as me to remember all these guys, except Mario was still very active outside connecting to racing. Sure. Well, and then just to add to that point, and then I'll answer the question there, Tyler. I mean, I remember hearing too, like they're introducing all these guys, the grand marshals for the Daytona 500. It seemed like Bobby Allison got the least amount of cheers. Like, how do you all know, not know who Bobby Allison is? 83 time winner, a Daytona 500 champion, the 83 championship winner. Like, that's insane to me, but you're right. It's that disconnect. The further you move in time away, the less people are going to recognize. But for me, growing up a fan of the sport in the nineties and, and getting NASCAR 99 as a game, look, nobody in my family watches NASCAR, follows NASCAR, but because Santa brought that video game, it transpired into fandom and, and a hobby and pursuing a career in the sport that we've come to, to have a lot of passion for. And in that game, just to race with Jeff Gordon, Bobby, Bonnie, Dale Earnhardt, but the number seven Phillips Ford Taurus with Jeff Bodine really grew up a Bodine fan and got the chance to get to know him over the years. And in our early days of the website, really took a liking to Jeff. And after he retired, they always tell you as a journalist, you don't want to be friends with the people you cover. But I think when, when they step away from the sport, in my opinion, some will agree, some will disagree, but I think that kind of opens that door up more. And Jeff and I kind of forged a, a friendship, which has kind of turned into to, to seeing him as family. And he's always asking about my son, who was born a few months back, and working with him on his autobiography. It's come full circle for me to, to be a fan of him, to race that car as a kid in that video game, and to be able to work with Uncle Jeff, as I call him, and Aunt Lori. It's, it is such an honor. It is such an honor. And and. I, I love it. It's just it's it's been so cool to do that. Let's say you, Tyler. Uh, growing up, uh, I was always a big Jeff Gordon fan. Uh, Jeff, you know, you got you guys know I, I work uh, in other sports, primarily in football, um, and I, I, I've always been a bigger football fan than I've been a racing fan. But Jeff Gordon was my favorite athlete among all sports. Uh, period. So the occasions that I've gotten to meet Jeff. You know, they say never meet your heroes. I've been fortunate. Jeff's been very gracious every time I've spoken with him. And to me, that, that was just awesome. The fact that not only was Jeff the guy I admired and rooted for, but as I got to talk to him, that he was the same guy that we saw on TV, that just very genuine, very kind, and uh, got to interview him and everything. I mean, that was that was surreal. So 
Jeff was uh, my favorite NASCAR guy. I will extend a little bit uh, in the motorsports world, another name uh, besides just NASCAR. My favorite IndyCar driver, uh, he, he's still somewhat active today, too. I think we mentioned him earlier in the show, was Elio, Dom. And you'll find this funny of why he became my favorite driver. Uh, I remember uh, I watched him on Dancing with the Stars. I'm like, that guy's great. He's very entertaining, very funny. And and uh, he was easy to like, easy to root for. So those were my two favorite racers uh, growing up out uh, there, Lewis. Speaking of Elio and the Daytona 500, so Elio was the first guy to climb the fence. Tony, in ever that I know, Tony did it first in NASCAR. Ricky did pull-ups on the fence. Cool. I had never seen that before. He did multiple pull-ups, too. He did, I think, You're never going to see Tony Stewart doing pull-ups on the fence. No, no, no. <laughs> but Elio... Like you mentioned, Jeff, he's what you see is what you get. A lot of people think he, he's a phone. He's not. And he could become the fifth. He could become the first five-time. Uh, he's, he's the fifth four-time winner. Could be the fifth, first fifth. Uh, boy, I'm tongue-tied tonight. First five-time winner of the Indy 500 this year. So he is a great guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he's easy to root for, for sure. Uh, Elio is. And. Uh, I think he's still doing the full SRX thing as well, so a lot of good there. Uh, guys, uh, we're about just about to wrap up here, but uh, Lewis, uh, tell people where they can uh, find you and see all the uh, the great stuff you're doing, man. Well, Reuters, Reuters is, uh, you know, uh, from time to time, not not as much as it used to. I used to cover the whole IndyCar series for them, but uh, if if my name appears like I can see it on the screen because it's a weird spelling from and and you can do it backwards. I could be Frank Lewis just as well as Lewis Frank, but uh, I'm on Twitter and uh, I've got a, a startup YouTube channel where I'm doing it. And if you like my Dale my Dale Junior interview is very very popular. And if if uh, if you see me on Twitter and you you want me to interview someone one on one, I do short clips. You know, as a boomer, I don't, I don't, I, I don't do podcasts for two hours of just talking. Uh, <laughs> although I could talk for two hours, so nice short clips. Uh, you can Google me. I've, I've done, I've done a lot of stuff in the past for Auto Week, not currently, but my stuff is still up there on the web. Just Google my name, and you can see a lot of my old stories, which still work. Again, I'm interested in features. I, w I want. I want to bring my readers something that they can't get elsewhere. That's great. I love that. Uh, Dominic, uh, what's going on in your world uh, this week? Uh, we're both going to Vegas here in a couple of weeks, but I think we're both at home this week. Yeah. Well, oh gosh. And, and we'll have to do a backstory podcast on our journey to get back home. Right. That was a whole, Oh, that was something. A lot of fun, but, but no, I'm back home in Santa Fe with my wife and son and, I got to say, guys, I'm really bummed because Daytona was 80 degrees and it was a cold 67 and it's a hot 40 degrees here. It's supposed to snow later this week. Oh. I came back in an awesome time. I, I was missing that snow, guys. I just, I'm a snowbird. I really mean that. I want the snow. No, I want Vegas, Tyler. I can't wait to have the hot weather out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back home in uh, Dallas this week, but uh, looking forward to being back uh, on the road in uh, Vegas here in a couple of weeks. Uh before I left Daytona, I booked all my uh, Vegas travel and everything. Couldn't wait. Uh, you, Lewis, uh, there, get this. So me and Dominic and a couple of our buddies, there's like four or five of us that we're going to be out there. We're going to be at the race covering it. And we're all staying together at the Sahara. Wow. 
You got to go to Hash House to go for mass quantities of food. Oh, that's a good place. I've been. It's at the Rio, right? Yep. Yeah, a great. There's one on the salad. strip. There's one on the strip. I I went there with Gary Long, Dustin Long's uncle, and I mean the food is piled up this high. He, he's not. And it's good food too. It's not. It's not just a lot of food. It's in what's it? The M. It, uh, it's got a funny name. It's right on the strip. You don't even have to go off the strip if you're if you're at the Sahara. Highly recommend. I do not have any financial interest in it. I just know it's a great it's a great experience. Yeah, it's an honest review. That is. We that is, so, I so paid. Where we're at, we <laughs> are just like right down the road from the Westgate Sportsbook. Uh, ah. I will be putting in plenty of wagers on uh, that weekend's uh, race action and everything and uh, try to get rich. Uh, see Brendan gone, say hello for me. Yes. Wonderful the, uh, guy. the mayor of Vegas. Uh, as uh, you got Charlotte uh, West there at the uh, South Point. Yeah. Charlotte West, I love it. Yeah. Uh, Lois, uh, what, what, what do you got going on these uh, next few days, man? Um, I will tomorrow I'm going out to North Wilkesboro. They're going oh. to have a presser, you know, ahead of the ahead of the uh, All Star race. I'm excited. I've never been there before, and it's an easy drive from Charlotte, so that's current. Uh, speaking of Jeff Gordon, he's going to be the Grand Marshal of the Concours d'Elegance uh, at Amelia Island. Uh, so I, I go there every year. I see a lot of a lot of racers with gray hair, so we we can chat. Had a great talk. You'll appreciate this, Dominic. George Falmer, who raced just about everything, and he's still full of piss and vinegar. I love, I love just standing in the hallway and letting him tell me tales. Uh, he he raced in NASCAR, he raced in IndyCar, raced in Formula One, even. And th this guy took no prisoners. Uh, again, may not be the biggest current name, but I watched him race, and so that's a great event. Uh, right on the Florida-Georgia border. Wonderful collection of cars that none of us on the show can afford. Uh, <laughs> uh, just speaking for myself, but uh, you, you see all kinds of cars. And I'll, of course, I'll do the Indy 500. Uh, so that's spring, more or less. And I want to go to see, I'm likely to go to the street race in Detroit. Perfect. Nice. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the Chicago street race? Chicago, I'm looking for a bed. Okay. <laughs> the hotels were sold out at the brickyard last year. Oh wow! Okay, I'm. Uh, the I'm... prices, Jill, uh, the the president of the race in Chicago said they're, they're booking up. Oh. The hotels in the suburbs of Chicago are raising prices and book. She was out at uh, she was out at uh, at the L.A. Coliseum. Had a press conference. Forgive me, I forgot her last name. She used to be president of Watkins Glen. And they're really, they're really getting behind that. And I want to go, but the hotel prices are nuts. Oh, yeah. big time. And Tyler, you'd appreciate this too. Kind of just doing research on the F1 race in Las Vegas in October. Oh. Frank Romero, who is a friend of the show, he and I were looking just, just for giggles to see what prices are. Hotels near Kingman, Arizona and Flagstaff, Arizona, which are three and four hours away, or about two and four hours away, rather are sold out for the weekend. So that's crazy how far that radius is stretching. Yeah, well, I mean, Las Vegas is a party town, although, I mean, it's a late, again, it's a 11 p.m. or maybe yeah, 11 p.m. start. But I mean, that town stays up all night. It's like New York is all night. So Vegas, give them another reason, a big price fight, you know, used, it was, was all the time was being in Las Vegas. So 
yeah. Uh, F1 prices are nuts. I, I don't understand people paying all this money, but uh, God bless them. <laughs> I guess. Guys, uh, we got to go. Lewis, appreciate you joining us uh, this week. Uh, we'll hear back from David uh, next week here on uh, Let's Go Racing. As always, you can subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Wednesday on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Hit the like button as well. We certainly would appreciate it. And uh, you can follow us on uh, social media at Star Podcasts on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, you can email us at davidstarpodcasts at gmail.com. We'll put the checkered flag out on this episode of Let's Go Racing for Lewis Frank and Dominic Olagun and David Starr. I'm Clyde Jones. Thanks a lot. It's been another edition of Let's Go Racing. See you next